so um moving on then from uh, where we ended which was i believe at fasting uh, last time um we are now on chapter 6 verses 19 to 24 um and in my bible i think it's headed treasures or, or something like that and and this section pulls together some of the stick themes that we've studied so far um, our internal priorities, our outward activities, and how we can recognise whether we're investing in the right things. Okay, so let's read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in essence, what Jesus is saying to his followers is this. How we live in this world doesn't only affect our life here. How we live in this world also impacts what happens in heaven now, whilst we are living our earthly life. And maybe this sounds a bit scary to you, but actually it's not, because we get to choose here and now what will be put into our heavenly bank account. It really does not depend on anyone or anything else. No one has control over that except you. And I think that's really good news because we can do something positive about it. So there are three things of importance in this passage, and they are treasures, eyes and masters in that order. But I'm actually going to start with masters and I'll explain why in a minute. So verse 24 says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the reason I want to start with this is that I, I think it's a, a really um, important foundation principle for every single Christian who wants to be a disciple of Jesus and to live by kingdom standards. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and what? The other master can be anything. I don't just mean money or material possessions. I mean whatever has a controlling influence in our life or a wrong kind of hold on our heart. If anything or anyone else is allowed to have a center position in our lives, even if it's not all the time, then it's in master territory. And that's why I think it's an important thing to address first. I want to get across to you the impossibility of living life in this way. If I have more than one master in my life, I cannot serve them both well, I just can't. I will constantly seesaw between my obligations to each one. It says it, doesn't it? I'll hate one and love the other, or I'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And that's the kind of dynamic we're talking about, the seesaw dynamic, which is a very important spiritual law. But it's true, isn't it? Each master will make 
demands on me and they are legitimate demands because after all they're my masters and masters require service i'll spend my life running between them trying to appease them both and trying to make room for them both and the result is a divided life because there's a constant tension between the need to obey each master and the ridiculous situation of having to do that and it's also quite likely to damage my witness to jesus and to his reputation and this is an enemy tactic, of course, <laughs> to delude and distract us away from Jesus. And it can be so subtle that we don't even recognize it. And no one is exempt from this. Not if you've been a Christian five minutes or 50 years, we're not exempt. Of course, the other masses in our life can be money, material goods and property, but it can be education, career or leisure activities. They could be looks, reputation, relationships, and especially they can be our physical desires, emotional needs, or fears and anxieties. And that's like a dozen things that I just wrote down yesterday without even thinking very hard. I'm sure there are a lot more than that. The truth is that anything, anything that tries to set itself up against Jesus is ultimately rooted in sin. And whatever we allow to control us becomes our master. So as we talk about what we're investing in as we live this life, I want us to be open to the Holy Spirit to gently and kindly nudge us if we've allowed something else to master us or if we're, if we're in danger of it. Now that's the backdrop. And let's look at verses 19 to 22. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so before we dive into talking about treasures i'd like to say this and it's really important because i don't want anyone to have false guilt it's not bad to treasure things okay it's a natural and joyous thing to do and it's a god-given gift God made us with a soul and a spirit. And amongst other things, that gives us the ability to treasure things. It's a human characteristic and it's born of a God who made us in his image. And God himself talked about Israel as being his treasured possession. He loved them and he delighted in them. So to treasure things is not wrong. But turning things that are rooted in this world only into your treasure is wrong. It means your heart is fully engaged elsewhere. It's the difference between joyful appreciation and lustful greed. Now we all have possessions, money, sentimental stuff, maybe a certain kind of lifestyle, relationships, life aims, independence, reputation, etc. And they all have some kind of value to us. And that value is based on what truth we really and truly believe in our heart of hearts, if you like. So here's a question. Does our internal thinking or what we believe is true, does that deceive us into having wrong priorities? Because if so, we will look to those priorities to provide us with security and safety. We'll put our faith in them. Or if we get our identity and our self-worth from them, 
then we'll plow our energies into them for the sake of our own well-being because that's what's important to us and and those things will make us look beautifully rich on earth but miserably poor in god's eyes if the things we hold close and focus on demand that we put our faith in trust of them we will end up storing treasure on earth and not in heaven our hearts end up being tied to that treasure because we've been deceived into thinking that this thing or this person is so important and the strength of our feelings will drive us to nurture and protect that relationship whatever relationship we have with it ouch <laughs> so how can we stop this happening how can we recognize if we're storing up treasures on earth instead of in heaven well i think a good way of outing a deception is to expose the lie that gave birth to it. Uh, and I reckon there are basically two deceptions which will rule our hearts if we give them permission. And number one is this, believing that other people's opinions matter. Now, of course, they do matter a bit, <laughs> but I'm talking about something that has a real hold on you. And, and this passage about treasures comes straight after the three examples that Jesus gives about doing your good deeds in public for the sake of good opinion if you remember it was prayer fasting and giving to the poor and and he says if you remember he says or this is his verdict on every single one if you are doing things for the sake of people's admirations then that's what you'll definitely get but in the bank of heaven that's not valid currency it's a bit like going to nat west with ten thousand pounds worth of monopoly money and expecting them to credit your account with it it's not valid currency. <laughs> Helen's laughing. <laughs> you cannot arrange your life around people's praise or approval and expect God to count that as a service to him or expect him to say, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of your life. Unfortunately, for me, <laughs> and probably for you, the fallen nature of men and women is that we very much desire the admiration of other men and women. We really believe that it matters. And we, if we can't have their admiration, then we, we quite like their envy, which is awful really, but that is what we do. It's intoxicating. It gives us such a high when other people love or desire what we have or what we say or what we do. Human beings of all ages put enormous value on that. And right now, this very minute, well-known companies and organizations are making millions, if not billions, out of our need to be admired or envied. I'm not gonna say who, because you all know. <laughs> if we are largely driven by the need for even one person's admiration or envy, then that's what controls you. How that person judges you is, in effect, your master. And you're storing up treasure on earth for the sake of an earthly reward, which Jesus says will rot or decay or be stolen. And, and we know, don't we? We know from films and books and online and in real life how transient people's praises are. You can easily go from being flavor of the month to nobody's friend in no time at all. And actually, there's another sad consequence of this which is which is that if you enslave yourself to other people's admiration or envy you are no better than a puppet our life here on earth is short 
and God wants to work with us for his name's sake and for his kingdom's sake. But he can't easily do that if other people are pulling our strings. And I can tell you that from my own unhappy experience of over 20 years of being driven by someone else's opinion in certain areas of my life. That is a long time to have been disabled. So let's move on to happier things. Excuse me. Jesus says, instead, store up treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. How can we do this? Well, in the case of the grip of other people's admiration, there's a great way to pull out the plug and disable the power. And it's something we've already heard several times in this series, and it's this. Do everything for an audience of one. And that will completely transform your thinking and have a massive effect on what you count as treasure. If every area of our life is laid open to God, if what we do is guided by his approval and his pleasure only, and if we live our lives as if he is our only one and only most valued friend, we are laying up treasure in heaven. And, and actually, I, I think it's... A, an easy thing to do when we remember it it's just like flicking a switch it might be a bit harder to retrain our minds to always doing that always thinking of God as our only audience but we really can do it and and if you if you think about it the words of Jesus in the Sermon of, of the Mount are given to to his followers so if you're a follower it must be possible to do the things that Jesus said and not all of them are really really hard and what a joy and privilege to train ourselves to have our Heavenly Father always in our mind. The more we know him and understand his wonderful nature, the less likely we are to value anyone else's admiration over his. And do you know what? I think he just loves to be our only audience. It's probably one of the best compliments we could give him. And what an audience. The maker of heaven and earth, the everlasting father, the only one who is good, the shepherd and overseers of our souls. What a guy. Okay, so here's the other major way. The first way is believing that other people's opinions matter. And here's the other way that we can be easily deluded into storing treasure up on earth. Believing in the stability and security of earnings, savings, and belongings or stuff whatever and there's an important point here that I want to make you don't have to be well off to be prone to this Jesus is not only talking to rich people or to people who have a weakness with collecting more and more stuff okay he's talking to every one of his followers because he knows the frailty of human nature and he doesn't want us to be slaves to sin and it's not about the material things in themselves, of course. There's nothing inherently wrong with those. It's entirely about our attitude towards them. Believing in the deception that they will insulate us from anything that might go wrong and storing them up instead of using them for the sake of the kingdom and trusting in God for his covering and his provision for us. If we put our trust in them and focus our energies on them, then we store up treasure on earth instead of heaven. And once again... Our hearts are fixated on them instead of on God. It's not wrong to have money, money, savings, property or belongings. We recognise their usefulness and value and we bless God for his provision to us. If we handle them well and hold them with an open hand, 
they are an excellent resource, so long as they are our servants and not our masters. But our society and culture actively teaches us to be nervous about not having enough, doesn't it? And it encourages us to collect it up and then build storage facilities for it, like investments and pensions and buy-to-lets or plastic boxes or holiday homes or sheds or those, you know, those lock-up things you can rent, you know, in the big, in the big like, industrial park or whatever. Anyway, etc. It teaches us to be self-sufficient, in other words, not to depend on anyone and not to have anyone depend on you. And that's completely opposite to how the kingdom of God works. We're encouraged into a mindset of collecting as much stuff as possible for our own security. And if it makes you the envy of your friends, so much the better. And guys, if we do this, we eliminate the need to depend on God. It's an act of fear. And the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, to act out of fear is illegal. If we don't keep a tight rein on our thinking, whatever we choose to store up or depend on gradually becomes the driver for our lives and the centre of our hearts. In other words, a master. And then as Christians, we run into difficulties, serving God in theory, but serving our lifestyle in practice. It's all a bit heavy, isn't it? <laughs> Please understand me, though. I don't, I don't want us to be nervous about owning things or having money, but I do want us to regularly do like a, a heart checkup and make sure we're not being trapped. So, how do we lay up treasure in heaven when it comes to money and material goods? And I, I think this is also easy, in a way. We just consider our earnings, our savings and our belongings primarily as tools for the kingdom of God. We let go of them in our thinking and we detach our hearts from them. After all, God owns everything. His riches and economic strategy are completely different from ours and completely different from the world's. He can turn water into wine. He can take a young lad's supper and give every person in the Albert Hall a decent meal. He can use a bunch of 11 guys to be the founders of the worldwide church. That's his economy and that's the God we serve. Why are we trusting in things that decay and rot when our Heavenly Father is the creator of the whole universe? And clearly, as UK citizens, there are some expenses we don't have a choice about, like tax and VAT and that kind of stuff. But as citizens of the kingdom of God and the church, we consider that anything we have is on loan from God to us to invest for his sake, however he tells you to do that. And there are, there are loads of parables which illustrate this really well. Now, I would have loved to have spent time discussing those, but we don't really have time. However, Paul, the Apostle Paul, explains this really well and fairly briefly in his letter to, to Timothy, um, who, who was a, a, a leader of a church. So let me just read that to you. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Teach those who are rich in this present world, and that's us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's a great context, isn't it? Did you know that, that God richly provides things for us to enjoy? Isn't that so like him? But you can't really enjoy something if it's hoarded or kept in storage. And I'm pretty sure it takes away God's pleasure in providing it for us in the first place. Uh, let's go back to Paul. Teach them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, 
and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that. That's the key, isn't it? Having a life which God recognises as true life and realising that this life isn't all there is. So let's just go on to the next couple of verses in Matthew. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, for all I know, there might be other interpretations of this verse, of these verses, but this is what I think, okay? I think they're most likely to do with the contrast between our natural heart's desire for earthly rewards and the spiritual wisdom of believing Jesus's words, which leads to the heavenly reward. I think Jesus is saying this to his followers. Guys, if you can just get this clear in your thinking, you'll be fine. Do you understand the significance of laying up your treasure in heaven and not on earth? It's like having good eyesight. You can easily judge distances, assess situations and make safe decisions. Your body is looked after and your life will go well. But if you can't or won't understand that this is a vital principle, it's like being blind. And that limits how easily your body moves around and it affects your whole life. And if anyone has another interpretation, I'm really happy to, to hear that afterwards. And then the final verses of the passage, which uh, are about serving more than one master, which we covered earlier. And I hope I've managed to convince you how futile it is uh, to have another master alongside Jesus. Um, so I'm, also, I'm almost done now. Um, so here's a summary. Number one. Beware of anything that competes with Jesus to be master in your life. And number two, here is a two-pronged fork for laying up treasure in heaven. A, do everything for an audience of one. And B, run away from relying on anything that begins and ends on earth. Um, I've just got a couple of questions that I'd like us all to think about for a minute or two, if that's okay. I'm not trying to catch you out or anything. I just, I just want us to ask God, you know, is there anything you want to say to me? And if he does, it's not because he's angry or nitpicking. It's, it's because he loves you and he wants you to be the best version of yourself. Okay, so um, I'm, it's, it's kind of three sets of questions. What drives you or motivates you to do what you do? Is there something you're always striving to achieve? When are the times you feel most satisfied with your day or your week? Okay, the next one. What makes you feel safe and secure? What things do you fear? Or to put it another way, if you could eliminate one thing from your life right now, what would it be? And then the last lot, who do you want to please or impress most of all? Or conversely, if you could have one person envy you, who would it be? 
what would you like to be known for or is there a yearning in you to have affirmation from a particular person or a group of people so i appreciate that's a lot of questions but um if it's okay if we can have a minute or two just to think about those and then um rich can i ask you to to pick it up from there just give us a couple of minutes to think and um, um do you want me to just repeat them or yes 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 okay i'm sorry there are so many <laughs> Okay, what drives or motivates you to do what you do? Is there something you're always striving to achieve? When are the times you feel most satisfied with your day or week? What makes you feel safe and secure? What things do you fear? Or if you could eliminate one thing from your life right now, what would it be? Who do you want to please? or impress most of all? If you could have one person envy you, who would it be? Is there a yearning in you to have affirmation from a particular person or a group of people?